With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we're here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining us today. Welcome to the 22nd episode of my show. I use this platform to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I really love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. My June Privacy Professor Tips message was published on June 1st. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. They're free. You can sign up for them by going to PrivacyGuidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email letting me know who your privacy and or security go-to person is. It can be at your work or in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. Now today, my tip of the week relates to the reader question, In my June tips, a reader wrote to me saying, I'd like to make my cell phone secure enough to store all of my passwords. What steps should I take? Well, here's my answer to that question. Cell phones can be secure, but usually only with additional protections beyond what is built into most of them. First, check to see if your phone has the following. Number one, encryption. If you have this option, turn it on. It helps to protect the data stored within your phone. And number two, passwords and authentication. Use two-factor authentication to make it harder for a crook to hack into your phone by guessing or cracking its password or the PIN. Now, it's important to note that these features alone will not provide sufficient security for passwords you store on your phone. In addition to encryption and two-factor authentication, consider using a strongly secured password manager app, which stores data on one of your own local devices. I generally advise against storing passwords within cloud services. If that cloud service gets hacked, all your passwords may be exposed. Plus, if the cloud service goes down or goes out of business, you could be in trouble if you depended solely on that service and did not create a backup. And you may need to go through a lot of work to reestablish all your passwords, which isn't always possible with every site, app, or device. So that's why I like to keep my passwords 
on a local device where I have control over them. Now today, I'm discussing a topic that is at top of mind for not only the majority of U.S. residents, but also really for everyone throughout the world. Voting and elections, security, and privacy. So here in the U.S., there is discussion of at least one, but usually more, voting and elections, security, and compromise threats that you hear about in the news and read about in the papers every day. Earlier this year, the U.S. Congress approved $380 million to all of our states to upgrade their equipment that they use nationwide, and that's part of their effort to prevent a repeat of 2016 when the Department of Homeland Security determined that Russian hackers had tried to breach election systems in 21 states. Now, on June 13th of this year, a group of Democratic senators introduced a bill called the Protecting American Votes and Elections Act of 2018. And they did this to help mitigate some of the well-established risks that the nation's really, truly uneven mix of voting machines and different types of election systems poses. You know, it's going to be interesting to see if that bill makes it all the way to being a law. Many states are updating security in their voting machines right now and trying to get that done before our November 2018 elections. For example, in Pennsylvania, York County's 12-year-old voting machines reportedly are already way outdated and vulnerable to hacking and they're lacking a really commonly used safety feature that can reveal if there was meddling made in the voting systems or mistakes made. And this is that they have no paper trail that's generated for the votes that they could use to audit against. It's not just the United States, though, either. I mean, voting and elections security concerns truly are worldwide. So here's just a few examples. In the last Italian elections, where social media accounts and bots were tied to Russia amplified stories about the threat of illegal immigration, the officials there reported that they saw outcomes uh, significantly impacted in their voting process. Also, Belgium's chief regulator of intelligence services warned on June 13th in the Belgian magazine NAC and also in the newspaper Le Soir that Russia would seek to meddle in their local elections that are coming up this October. Now, American intelligence agencies verified and reported that Russia carried out a campaign on social media and in other types of communication outlets to influence or try to influence uh, the outcome of the 2016 American presidential election. And they listed some of the methods such as denigrating Hillary Clinton and boosting 
Donald Trump. The intelligence agencies also reported evidence that President Vladimir Putin of Russia, of course, personally ordered it. Now, I, I have listeners from throughout the world, and I know I have listeners in Russia. So if you're hearing me now, I'd love to hear your perspectives and thoughts on these reports. Please send me an email and let me know about that. It's important to note that there was no reported proof that any voting systems specifically in the U.S. were hacked or compromised, but certainly there was proof that it was attempted and also lots of different types of messaging going on in social media. So for our upcoming elections, do we need to worry about voting system security? And what about the ways in which nation states are trying to spread propaganda and use social media to alter the views of voters for the candidates? Well, I have the perfect person to discuss these issues today. Today, my guest is Ed Moyle, who is general manager and chief content officer for Prelude Institute. Prior to joining Prelude, Ed was director of thought leadership and research for ISACA and a founding partner of the analyst firm Security Curve. In his 20 years in information security, Ed has held numerous positions, including senior security strategist with Savas, senior manager with CTG, and vice president and information security officer for Merrill Lynch Investment Managers. Ed is co-author of Cryptographic Libraries for Developers and a frequent contributor to the information security industry as author, public speaker, and analyst. Ed, thank you so very much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Well, I'm excited too. This is such a hot topic, an interesting topic, a complex topic. So when I read your survey results in your article, Secure Elections in a Smart World, which was recently published in the ISACA Journal, Volume 3, for 2018, I thought, you know, I want to get some more information from Ed about this. And what I want to do first is to get information about the survey before we delve into the actual voting security uh, and elections influencing methods. So can you explain maybe what prompted you to do a survey on voting security and and so on. Yeah, actually, um, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, we were actually doing uh, a survey on something else um, mm-hmm. at the time, and uh, you know, as you mentioned, this is a topic that I think is on a lot of people's minds, and and it's one that um, <clears throat> that uh, that we had you know spent some some put some thought behind trying to understand kind of the dynamics of what are going on um, or what have been going on kind of in, um, you know, election security. And, and there, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an, an area that there are a lot of uh, folks who are, uh, from a research standpoint, uh, very deep into this, um, talking about, you know, the, the, you know, securing particular types of, of, of voting apparatus, for example. Um, so 
it's an area that that has gotten a lot of study. It's an area that you know certainly the the U.S. government and and in particular state governments are are very interested in. So we did want to gather some information, you know, when when we could, and 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 we were doing this other survey, and uh, uh, I had requested that that uh, we include <clears throat> some uh, targeted questions. Um, it's really not a ton of questions, um, you know, but just to kind of get a pulse, a barometer of uh, the uh, people's perceptions about it, because I, I think particularly in this case, um, the the actual how we secure it is very much informed by uh, people's perceptions and expectations of who has the responsibility to do so and so on. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. So, so you <clears throat> mentioned it was part of another survey. So who was a survey targeted to, you know, who participated and how many and from what parts of the world? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, it, it definitely was a global survey. Um, we pretty much cast it out to um, the, you know, a fairly, fairly wide net towards uh, the, the ISACA uh, constituents, constituency, constituent base. Um, so we targeted about 2,000 people. That That was in part one of the reasons why we included it with another survey was that um, I really kind of wanted to get, you know, a fairly uh, sizable distribution of folks just to, to be able to canvas this and, 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 you know, wanted it to be global and, and, and so on. Um, so this was uh, just, just under 2000 people. It was um, 1954. Uh, if anybody's <laughs> a track of these things, which is a good year, I guess, but, uh, but, but just under 2000 people, um, that, that we, you know, that we surveyed about this and, um, you know, just wanted to ask them some questions about, you know, who, who in their mind, uh, you know, who's responsible for securing elections, how concerned are they about it? Uh, that was really kind of the focus. Um, but I will say what it, it, one of the things that's really interesting to me about this is kind of when you look at what, um, and I'll confine some of this to you know to the U.S. because you know to, to your in your in your lead up you very rightly pointed out that this is an issue that the U.S. is you know is definitely struggling with currently right mm-hmm. um, so in in the in the U.S. Um, you know there's been a lot of interest in this uh, but by virtue of the mechanics of how uh, the U.S. Uh, structures its election apparatus kind of there's some interesting I think um, implications of uh, the data that we collected which you know which I'm excited to, to tell your your listeners to about today and if I could just interject real quickly for the listeners out there who don't know what ISACA is that's the information systems audit and control association so those members are largely in the information security profession um, information security audit profession and so on so these are folks who that's what they do for their job is looking at the security of a wide range of IT and other types of information processes so you said you had what was in 1954 that returned the um, results of the survey, and what were the key findings then from your survey? Well, so there's so there's there's really two, and and I, I'm going to kind of tee up the the um, the what the findings are, and then you know, and then go into a little bit of why I think they're so interesting. Okay. Um, if that's if that's okay, sure. um, so so the the two find the the two key findings were 
Um, the first one is uh, we kind of asked the question, we just kind of asked people, um, how concerned are you about uh, the ability of, of uh, you know, governments to conduct secure, reliable, and accurate elections, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what we found is that there's really a significant amount of concern out there. So, <clears throat> um, so we had uh, just about 25% of the folks uh, saying that they were extremely concerned about it. We had about 30% saying very concerned, um, you know, and again, also about uh, uh little north of, of 25% uh, saying that they're somewhat concerned in terms of folks. Yeah, no, it was, there's a lot of concern out there. Um, you know, so folks are really very concerned about this as you might imagine. Right. And, and and there's some good reasons why that's the case. So that's kind of data item number, number one, um, high level concern data item number two. And this is where I think it's kind of really particularly interesting and where I think the, uh, you know, the, the implications uh, that fall out as a result of it are, are, are particularly uh, on point, which is that um, we asked folks uh, who in their government should have responsibility for ensuring mm-hmm. that elections are secure, accurate, and reliable. And we asked them to break it down um, <clears throat> by virtue of, well, is it the nation? Is it the region? Is it, you know, some other regulatory body? Is it private industry? Is it, uh, you know, the city or county, uh, mm-hmm. you know, state province, et cetera? And what we found is <clears throat> that the overwhelming majority of folks, uh, you know, viewed this as being kind of a national responsibility, right? So there were some folks who said, um, <clears throat> you know, that that uh, you know that cities and counties and so on have a role to play, um, you know. But really, in terms of the folks out there who are pointing directly at the the national level for this, uh, it was just about seventy percent. Uh, wow, seventy-one percent, right? Uh, who believe that 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 the nation, <clears throat> the national government, uh, shares the you know has the you know a, a role to play, and the reason why I think that's so interesting, particularly in the U.S., is if you're following the kind of the election security news, <clears throat> what you're seeing is that a lot of state governments are asking for funding to help secure their voting apparatus, right? Mm-hmm. And that's interesting, and it makes sense because in the U.S., right, it's at the 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 local uh, the local municipal level <clears throat> in terms of the actual implementation, and then the uh, state level in terms of uh, kind of the broader mechanics of of how voting gets done, and really in terms of the actual uh, you know voting <clears throat> uh, you know the election process. Yes, there's a role for the national government, but it's kind of a minimal one, at least in the U.S., right? So, mm-hmm. so that the the that's kind of implication number one, and then implication number two, and where I th- think it starts to get even more interesting, is when you start to look at <clears throat> the asymmetry between, <clears throat> um, you know, between the attacker and the defender in that kind of scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So, um. You know, I I I I, I joke uh, from from time to time, right? Where where uh, you know, on the one hand, you have a, a nation state actor potentially, right? Um, you know, be it Russia or North Korea or whomever else, right? Or you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you a potential nation state actor with uh, you know legions. You know, they're sitting on a stockpile of zero day vulnerabilities. They have uh, folks working round the clock. Uh, in dedicated facilities for you know to conduct these kind of com- kind of campaigns, they have you know a very sophisticated cyber warfare apparatus that they're bringing to bear 
uh, onto this this task, and and they're quite well funded too, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, you have say, you know, Butte, Montana, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's just you know it's a it's an incredibly un, unequal, asymmetric, unfair contest. I mean, if if you were to ask you know um, a, an organization like uh, you know a mid say you know small to to mid mid size uh, organization, you know say two three thousand folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, you know, let me just pick a name out of a hat. Uh, Pep Boys, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, Pep Boys in in the U.S. is like an auto parts uh, distributor, right? They they uh, you know it's kind of a mid market kind of place. Um, is would it be reasonable to expect Pep Boys to defend uh, their infrastructure against a dedicated nation, a dedicated and determined nation state adversary? And the answer to that is pretty much no, right? I mean, those folks who do security for a living, uh, you know, when it comes down to the question of a nation state actor specifically targeting you with the express purpose of, of conducting a campaign against you and getting in, you know, the security model just breaks, right? A lot of times people are like, well, you know, that threat model is just one that we can't possibly both stay in business and also, uh, you know, prepare ourselves for, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the the election scenario, you do have very much a, a an equivalent or near equivalent kind of scenario. And I, I just think that's really interesting. And, uh, you know, when you, when you kind of look at, um, you know, when you kind of look at how that plays out and some of the things that, that, uh, you know, that, 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 that folks have said, uh, you know, I, I have an interesting, um, uh, anecdote about the, uh, the, uh, Russian foreign minister. Uh, w- one of the things that he had said in a, uh, a 2016, um, address that, that, or 2015 address, I should say that, that I just uh-huh. think is really kind of interesting. But anyway, so, uh, so that's kind of the long and the short of it. I'm sorry. That's a long winded answer, but. Well, what did he say? I mean, you've got our, you've piqued our curiosity. So <laughs> let yeah. us know. <laughs> okay. Well, so the, the background on this is that, that, uh, the Russian foreign minister is a gentleman by the name of, uh, Andre Khrushchev. Uh, and I may be mispronouncing that, but one of the things that, that he said uh, that I thought was really interesting, and I, uh, this was at a 2016 um, uh, conference, um, which I will uh, – I'll actually read it because I, I just think it's so fascinating. And, and oh, I, okay. I, I was thinking our, our conversation might go here, so I, I uh, you know, pulled it up. But, sure. Um, so he said, uh, he said, you think we're living in 2016? No. Uh, we are living in 1948, and do you know why? Because in 1949, the Soviet Union had its first atomic bomb test. Until, uh, and if, until that moment, the Americans were not taking us seriously, in 1949, everything changed, and they started talking to us on an equal for- footing. And he said, you know, he said, I'm warning you, we are at the verge of having something in the information arena which will allow, to, uh, allow us to talk to the Americans as equals. And this was, you know, way before any of the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, the items uh, started to come to light in terms of right. the active targeting of, of, of the, the election and so on. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's one of the things that at the time, you know, I, I, I kind of struggled a little bit with, with what he might mean because there were a couple of things that he might be referring to, right? It was around the same time that uh, the shadow brokers, uh, which a lot of folks believe to be the, the you know, the Russian GRU uh, military intelligence, right? Uh, when they released the the NSA toolkit that that was uh, surreptitiously obtained, uh, uh, which, by the way, just quick tangent: if anybody is interested in read, it's something that reads like a spy novel. 
super interesting is uh, this, if you just do a quick Google, sh- Google search for uh, shadow brokers and uh, equation group, if you just put those four search terms into, into to Google, you will see uh, the story of just a really fascinating exchange, stuff that uh, you know folks in the public don't usually get to see because it's all clandestine. But in this case, it kind of came to light and there was spillover. So we're worth checking out. But so it, it could be that, uh, that he meant that. Or it could be that he was referring to the kind of weaponization of social media and the mm-hmm. uh, ability to uh, conduct this influence campaign in the U.S. and stuff like that. And uh, and at the time, I kind of when he said that, I was kind of leaning more toward the, you know, the the shadow broker theory. But now I'm kind of leaning towards that, you know, that second theory, which is that you know he's specifically talking about the weaponization of social media. And if that's true, then I I, I feel like you know, the midterm elections in the U.S. and, you know, potentially, uh, you know, future elections kind of worldwide are, you know, potentially going to be uh, in the crosshairs of, of uh, uh, you know, of that operation. Oh, definitely. And just, you know, back to your, uh, we have a, a break coming up here in about a minute and a half, but uh, to your Pep Boys uh, um, example, I like that because you're, you're, I think making the point that you have some very small types of entities that are doing similar things as the large ones, but they all can't have the same uh, level of security control simply because of the size and the capabilities of them. But uh, I guess I would point out a a difference with the voting uh, systems would be, though, that with the voting systems and our voting processes, all of them still are going to influence one particular thing, and that's the outcome of the elections. Whereas with the Pep Boys, you know, well, yeah, the Pep Boys, it's going to impact their business, but not necessarily the business of everybody else in the, the United States. So, Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's know. absolutely true. Yeah, so I guess if I wanted to go after a weak point, that might be if I see some very small uh, voting system in Montana and Iowa. I'm here in Iowa. Uh, I I might think hmm, that might be a good place to get through. But uh, certainly, when you have social media, I want to um, really expand upon that. But we need to take a quick break right now, Ed. Uh, for our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. So when we come back, let's uh, pick up there. We can talk about uh, some of those related issues. Uh, So we're speaking today about digital, um, about the voting systems, and also about election security and influencing with Ed Moyle, General Manager and Chief Content Officer for Prelude Institute. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my website, Simbus360.com, PrivacyGuidance.com, and my LinkedIn site. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and we are speaking today with Ed Moyle, General Manager and Chief Content Officer for Prelude Institute about voting security and elections influence. And before the break, we were talking about kind of the differences between how we have different types of election systems throughout the country and different states they have different systems and then even where you go to vote is different and just from a personal experience you know I lived here in Iowa in Madison County uh, and farmed for uh, two decades Uh, and in Madison County I actually went when I went to vote to an old uh, country school house that had been converted to an election system so that was very different than where I go now that I live in Des Moines, which is much more urban. And uh, so here I go to a different type of election systems. But in Iowa, generally, all of the systems we use here are paper-based, meaning we have a paper ballot, we mark them, and then we feed them right there at the elections headquarters into um, a scanner and when you feed them into the ballot reader scanner it goes into this area that has um, a locked receptacle so even the the people who volunteer at the election site do not have access to even get to the ballots once they've been um, submitted which 
is appropriate. But um, Ed, something that's that's so diverse throughout the U.S. are the many different types of voting systems that we have. You know, and what type of voter, you know, what type of systems are being attacked? And then those are separate than our voter registration systems and databases. A lot of people, I think, don't realize that that the two are separate. But, um, you know, how can you enlighten us on what you found there between uh, what's being attacked and the differences in security in those two types of systems? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, so in terms of um, so there's a lot of work that's been done. Um, some, uh, you know, for folks who want to go deep into this, um, there's a, uh, a really, I think a really, uh, a, a, a useful, you know, pretty useful resource for this, I think is, mm-hmm. is that, that, uh, Princeton university, the, uh, um, the group that, that used to be called the Securing internet programming team. Um, mm-hmm. this was, uh, Ed Felton's, <coughs> uh, research activity over there. Oh, sure. Um, They've done a lot of really, um, you know, they're kind of the, they were early, you know, to, to, to look at that and, and kind of still are doing it. I, I will warn you that as far as like the bits and bytes of the, the different systems go, um, you know, that's kind of less my area of specialty, but, um, but to, to, to kind of, you know, um, address a little bit of, of your question um, <clears throat> without, you know, going too far into the weeds, um, there's actually a couple of different ways like any system, right? There's, there's mm-hmm. multiple points at which it might be vulnerable. I mean, if you, you know, look at, um, you know, pretty, you know, so for example, right? Like if you have a payment application, well, you know, you can attack, uh, the backend, you can attack, attack the database, you can attack, uh, you know, the, the, the point at, between the, the client, uh, you know, the, 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 the person who's making the payment and, and the, the, the system that they're talking to, et cetera. So there's multiple different points at which, which it might be attacked. And, and when you look at kind of um, where the, the folks who are looking to subvert these elections are, are kind of uh, what they're trying to do, you actually see them trying to pursue multiple paths at the same time. So for example, right, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about the, you know, the registration systems, right? Um, mm-hmm. systems that, that do, you know, do things like tally votes, right? In some cases, uh, you know, uh, actual electronic voting, uh, systems themselves, right? This, this is a thing that, uh, you know, to your point there, there wasn't a lot of, uh, data to suggest that they were successful in, in, in those, those attempts. Uh, but, uh, we, you know, definitely did see, uh, evidence of those paths being tried. So that's, that's mm-hmm. one way. Um, another way is, is, uh, you know, maybe arguably, a, 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 a potentially a little easier, uh, is the actual, uh, swaying of folks, um, perception, the, the, you know, the purposeful attempt to guide them to making a vote that, you know, that the, that the person, uh, or group that's initiating this campaign would like to see the outcome be, and uh, you know, and 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 you know, certainly we've seen that as well, and we've seen the fallout uh, that that arose from the the you know the Cambridge Analytica situation, mm-hmm. um, and then you know we've we've seen um, you know definitely a lot of uh, push behind uh, trying to manipulate. Uh, social media channels and, you know, the, the whole fake news and, and stuff like that. Right. I mean, so that's, <clears throat> you know, that's another thing that we're seeing as well. 
And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of different pathways in, which is why I think kind of this, this stratification of, um, you know, the, what's the nation's role versus what's the, the state's role and what's the, the municipality's role is so interesting because, um, number one, you see a lot of states that are asking for uh, budget to help support uh, election security in the upcoming uh, midterm election in the U.S., which mm-hmm. frankly surprises me because I, I kind of, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of had assumed that based on what we had known since, you know, since the end of 2015 and, and early 2016 about, uh, you know, the last time this went down, I, I just kind of assumed that there was, you know, a bunch of secret, secret squirrel stuff going on that, you know, that we didn't see requests for funds because there was some kind of uh, national uh, effort that was, you know, potentially clandestine that was going on that was targeted around uh, beefing up, you know, security for those things. Yeah, uh, you would hope so, right? <laughs> you would think. Uh, but it so it so the short version is that it makes me a little bit nervous that we're starting to see at a fairly late hour, you know, mm-hmm. requests from uh, from states to try to beef up the the security of these processes. Um, but uh, but in terms of you know, in terms of national infrastructure, you would think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of work, uh, you know, particularly in, in, you know, in the U.S., there's been a lot of work about, you know, securing of critical infrastructure. Um, and really, uh, you know, it's been in a lot of ways the the public se- sector that's really kind of been, you know, leading the charge in a lot of ways in terms mm-hmm. of making that happen. And, uh, you know, it's just a little surprising to me that that we're not seeing kind of that same level of effort, uh, you know, for at, at the national level, not, not to say that we shouldn't, it's just that, you know, that just that, uh, you know, it, it, there's definitely a need there. And I, I think it's, you know, the, the, the national apparatus is, uh, designed around is, is kind of targeted, clearing the way for the States to, to be, you know, sovereign with respect to, uh, you know, to, to, um, overseeing their election process. Uh, but it's kind of like a, a a scale, right? The the more sovereignty the state has, and 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 the more the the nation is hands off about it, uh, the the more asymmetric the contest becomes. So it just it's it's kind of an interesting trade off, in my opinion. Well, yeah, and you know, it, it makes sense to me. Okay, if states want to determine what works best for their citizens, that's one thing. But in my opinion. At a federal level, there needs to be a minimum set of security requirements that they have to meet, even if they want to do it in different ways. It seems logical that all the states should say, do do your elections in the way that makes the most sense, but here is what you need to meet at a minimum in order to help ensure that we have secure elections that we can depend upon actually take place. And and back to voter registration, I guess I'm concerned about that. One reason is because, of course, when you go to vote, it's the voter registration database that's used to see whether or not you can be a voter or if you've already voted. And just imagine if those voter registration systems are vulnerable and one a candidate from one party wants to basically go in and inactivate or delete the voters from another party that could have wide <laughs> widespread impact on 
the elections if, if they were able to do that. And I guess sometimes when I'm hearing stories in the news about what they're concentrating on, certainly they need to concentrate on their voting systems. But I feel from what I'm hearing that those voter registration systems are still you know, not being looked at enough because of the ways in which it can impact election results as a as a result of actually determining who can vote to begin with. I don't know if you've uh, looked at any of the voter registration issues or not separate from the voting systems, but that seems to be a critical part of this this whole um, topic. Oh, I absolutely agree. And and the thing that <clears throat> the thing that I think makes it a little challenging is that um, you know the the whole question of of the whole question of data integrity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a couple of different <clears throat> there's a couple of different ways to look at this. I mean, one way is um, you know you're you're looking at you know as we you know as these systems become more digitized, right? As as it becomes kind of more reliant on technology and less reliant on you know paper based methods. So I I live in New Hampshire, right? Which is mm-hmm. you know live free or die, right? And as a consequence of that, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of money that gets spent on updating things, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh-huh. uh, so, so, uh, so for us, it's paper, right? Which, which, you know, there's not a lot of people in New Hampshire. So, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe that strategy tends to work. Uh, but, you know, where it makes me nervous is where you look at uh, a very populous regions that are using, <clears throat> um, you know, that, that are almost entirely reliant on electronic systems and that, uh, you know, to your point, just by virtue of the amount of people that live there, uh, particularly in urban areas, uh, that, that uh, you know, the, the, how much they rely on those registration systems, to your point. Mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> you know, so I, I think, uh, you know, there's a couple of different, um, you know, there, there's kind of the idea of, how do you protect the the integrity of that that information? Uh, number, you know, so that's kind of number one. And then number two is, you know, how do you make sure that you're retaining a robust audit trail that mm-hmm. uh, allows you to go back and check to make sure that 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 you know that that the result is um, you know is accurate. And I, I think there's a lot, uh, you know, there's a long way to go, kind of in both of those areas um, to improve. And, right. uh, you know, I, I think uh, <clears throat> I don't think a lot of the infrastructure that's in place was designed around the idea that a nation state would specifically and purposefully attempt to try to subvert it. And, right. you know, it's now that now that we know that that's kind of the stakes, uh, I think, you know, trying to, you know, trying to rewrite the the, the, the threat model around uh, you know, the nation state actor is, you know, that's it's a tall order. Oh my gosh. It's very complex. And I guess I do want to make a, a important point, I think related to security of the voting systems and elections in 2016, despite, I mean, and I want to get to social media and the conspiracy theories and, and <clears throat> propaganda being used, but I do want to make sure that everyone understands that through many different audits and research activities, there was not like some have proclaimed or try to 
to claim that, um, you know, they're saying, oh, tens of thousands voted illegally. And that's that's just not true. I mean, there's no proof of that. And in fact, there were very, very few who uh, were actually caught in voter fraud. In fact, one of the people caught in voter fraud was here in Des Moines, Iowa. (laughs) And it was a person, quite um, interestingly, she had sent in her, um, you know, absentee ballot, and she voted that way. But then she started reading these claims on social media that, oh, if you did your uh, absentee ballot, um, that's not going to count. So you better make sure that your vote counted. So what did she do? She went in and she tried to vote on election day then after she had voted absentee. And she said it was because of what she read on social media that caused her to do that. And she was actually, I think she was fined for it. I mean, she was, um, you know, found guilty of, of voter fraud, but there was very, very few. But it highlights how social media influenced, you know, this one person to commit fraud when, you know, people were trying to to claim there was widespread fraud when there wasn't, but yet people committed fraud as a result of fear that their vote wouldn't be counted. It's just really kind of a a strange situation. Um, What are you seeing with social media? What tactics are being used with... uh, you know, trying to sway votes and and spread these conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, so I actually just kind of by way of of kind of segue, uh, you know, so so these two points are related, right? The question about voter registration mm-hmm. and the and the question about um, you know about kind of the the use of, of uh, you know the kind of the quote unquote weaponization of social media, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and a, a useful resource for folks who who might. Uh, be interested in this. There's a there's a blog out there. It's called uh, the Lawfare blog. It's yeah. Like L- Are you you're familiar with this one? It's, it's oh yeah. It, it's L A for the for folks who might not be familiar with it. It's L A W F A R E blog dot com. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, they've kind of uh, covered this uh, you know this topic periodically. And and the thing that really stands out to me is that <clears throat> when you're considering the question about uh, so I'm referring to, uh, there's been a series of posts by a gentleman, uh, uh, Nicholas Weaver, who's, uh, um, a, uh, professor at, uh, at, at, uh, Berkeley, which I think is, uh, you know, he, he writes about this. And the thing that I, I think is really interesting from what he says, which is that, uh, you know, it's less about trying to specifically undermine the, uh, you know, the tabulation or undermine the, the, you know, the, 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 the voting results, Really, <clears throat> to be successful, all an adversary would have to do is to create doubt, right? Mm-hmm. So m- much like money, you know, m- money, you know, the money has value because people think that it does, right? Uh, you know, the elections are reliable to the extent that people think that they are. And if right. you're able to sow doubt, uh, be it through deregistration of folks, uh, to your earlier point, or be it through uh, getting far enough into the tabulation uh, infrastructure to be able to cause doubts to be raised, uh, you know, it, it really kind of throws the whole outcome into uh, into disarray, right? Because, you know, so they don't actually have to even be successful. They just have to be successful enough or have, uh, you know, plausible enough seeming 
uh, you know, there's a plausible enough likelihood, likelihood that that they were in to be able to create major drama just by virtue of of doing that. So, so that's that's and that's related because you know social media is very similar, right? Which is that um, you know you don't have to necessarily. <clears throat> you know, I mean, there are absolutely stories that are clearly, clearly fabricated, right? Like we oh, you know, yeah. have, have seen that, right? Um, but there's also things that are just designed around sowing doubt, right? Like mm-hmm. to, you know, to make it seem like, uh, you know, something is more of an issue than, 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 you know, than Occam's razor might dictate that it is. And, uh, you know, so, so that's part of it. Um, so we're definitely seeing, um, you know, we're definitely seeing kind of the, the, you know, the, uh, the troll farm, if you will, right. The, the, mm-hmm. the folks who are, um, specifically employed by, uh, in this case, Russia, uh, you know, to, uh, uh to just impersonate Americans and to go out there onto social media and, and build connections. And, um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, on the one hand, they're doing that for the purposes of, uh, you know, of uh, creating discord in the election process, but it, you know, it's 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 very similar to what um, you know what folks do uh, to gather threat intelligence, right? There's there's a, a company down the road for me that that uh, you know their whole deal is they just they have employees who you know um, lurk in the the you know the under underworld and. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretend to be, you know, rogue actors and stuff like that and, and gather information about methods and, you know, how, how people are attacking and stuff like that. Anyway, my, my point is that I think these two things are related. And I, I also think it's, you know, it's a really interesting topic. Well, and it's alarming, too, because they're so good at it that, you know, it's so frustrating when I see the actual politicians themselves retweeting, you know, completely obvious lies but yet the politicians they they like what it says because it's something that helps them so they retweet it or they repost it on facebook or or where or on youtube or wherever and you know the the people who are are putting them out there you know the and and it's on all the different uh, parties. It's not just one or another, but, um, you know, Russia and what other nation states are doing this, they must just be so happy with themselves when they see that they've actually embedded themselves into our discussion to the point where we even have our politicians, um, you know, spreading their messages. I mean, that must just tickle them to, to death to see that that you know we've fallen for them line hook and sinker sure i would imagine it 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 would i mean the thing that the thing that i i kind of wonder where it's going to go is that i mean coming back around to this the the point from andre you know cruz 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 whose name Uh i can't ever pronounce but coming back to the thing about one of the things that i find interesting about that right is that uh, so? On the one hand, they they absolutely must be tickled that 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 it that that it's working to some degree, but but if in fact the point of this is for him, you know, for you know, to have the U.S. interact with uh, Russia as an equal, the same way that uh, transpired after the the atomic bomb test, 
Mm. Um, I, I kind of question whether or not they're there because whether they got what they wanted, because, um, you know, if in fact they, they were, and I get it that it's politically loaded, right? So, so, I, you know, I, not to imply that they were successful or weren't successful or anything like that, but like, say for the sake of argument, just to make the, the point that they were, if, if they were, <clears throat> uh, successful in trying to influence the outcome, um, and you know you 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 ex- you start from that premise, then you you have to wonder. Well, you know the 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 U.S. political party that that was impacted in that case, uh, you know, is disinclined to want to acknowledge that that's true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how does it in fact have the the end state of uh, being able to bargain? Uh, you know, to be treated as an equal if nobody knows that you're doing it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. It's just an interesting thing to me. So, you know, so I, I kind of, on the one hand, I, I, you know, it's certainly, you know, sowing a lot of disarray in the U.S., but, you know, also is it accomplishing the goal of of, of what they're trying to do? I, I, don't, I don't know that I know the answer, but it's just uh, an interesting question, I think. It is, and I think, too, that it's raising awareness. So, I think in some ways it might be making their jobs harder with regard to trying to get into voting systems and um, registration systems because, you know, like you said, we are seeing more in the news about different states trying to improve the security of their systems. And if they had, and um, if that was something that, you know, they were hoping uh, to be able to break into the systems and the, the next elections coming up, that's definitely going to um, impact them as well, right? So, um, you know, it, it could have impacts that maybe they didn't expect to have uh, that's making their jobs harder in one place, but also making things better for them on social media and with the the misinformation um, efforts that they are, have pushing out there. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. So um, we're getting to the end of the, the show here. What is the most important action or actions that you can summarize that you want our listeners to think about, that you want our listeners to think about that they can do to improve voting and election security in the U.S.? Well, yeah, this is going to sound a little bit trite, but, but at the end of the day, I really think <clears throat> be interested, right, regardless of what political party you're affiliated with, regardless of, you know, whether you, uh, you know, subscribe to the belief that, that, you know, that all of this stuff that, that, you know, that folks were trying to do was successful or not. Um, you know, just be interested in this topic and, and, and be alert because keep in mind, right at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, at least in the U S right. It's, it's, you know, by the people for the people, right. So it's you as a citizen, uh, of whatever geography or location you happen to be in, um, you know, it's, it's your job to, Mm -hmm. uh, understand, um, what's going on and be alert to it. And, um, the thing that the number one thing I think that people can walk away with and, and do is, uh, you know, is to be alert to, you know, just employ critical thinking the same way that you would mm-hmm. employ critical thinking with like a spam or a phishing attempt, or, you know, you get some notice in the, in, in the email that's got a bunch of, you know, an email that's got a bunch of spelling errors in it that alleges to be your bank wanting to, you know, you to send them 
you know, your username and password or whatever. Like people mm-hmm. see that and they're like, well, that's totally bogus. Like there's no way that that's the truth. Uh, right. You know, just employ that same level of critical thinking and skepticism and and so on uh, with things that you find in social media. Because keep in mind, right, Any anybody can post anything on social media, um, whether it's true or otherwise. So. And- Indeed, indeed. Well, those are very, very good uh, thoughts to leave us with today. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Ed. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Great. Hey, listeners, you can reach Ed on Twitter using at Security Curve or using his email, ed at securitycurve.com. Today, we've been speaking with Ed Moyle, General Manager and Chief Content Officer for Prelude Institute, about voting security and elections influencing through social media and other types of communications, as well as the security of the systems. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune in to my show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. You can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Player.fm, Google Play, TuneIn, Overcast, Listen Notes, CastBox, in addition to, of course, the VoiceAmerica.com business channel website. Also, contact me for information security, privacy and compliance, keynotes or other types of work or being an expert witnesses. I'll be happy to help. You can also visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, to see my appearances on CWIWA Live morning shows and see the topics that we discuss there each month. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Until our next show, ask those who you do business with and who you work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.